Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Well, I have been gone most of the summer uh, writing uh, Blink, uh, The Vanishing, and, and it is truly going to be the, 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 mo- the most awesome thing that we've ever done. I love this story. I love the scenes that are in Blink. Uh, if you're wondering what it is, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic uh, storyline of this, this research scientist that is in Alaska, and it's two and a half years after a global event where over half the world's population is gone, and uh, she's trying to figure out what all this stuff means, and, and she's being chased by these creatures and there's all it's just it's like a sci-fi biblical interesting amazing movie part then we've got all these other scenes that we have been non-stop filming working I'm talking about literal crews of like 35 40 people the other night we started a shoot at I think 12 was the call time for the crew and we didn't leave till 3 a.m. Uh, filming one scene and we've been doing this night after night we're not going to be done for another two or three weeks so it's been a wild summer for me uh, in terms of writing and directing I've been away a lot but I'm here today and I'm excited, but how about a hand for our whole team here that makes things work well? I don't have to be here for church to be great. This church is about way more than one person. It's about the gifts and talents and sacrifices of many. And I'm grateful to be in a church where God just does good things no matter who's up here. God does good things. And uh, that's what we're, kind of, we're all about. So I'm also very excited that coming very soon, uh, City of Life South Orlando uh, we'll be relaunching. We've kind of just taken a break during the summer because they've done a total remodel uh, on the facility over there. We weren't able to meet there for the whole summer, but they're almost done, and we're going to be uh, reconvening uh, our services back at Cypress Creek at City of Life South Orlando. Looking forward to that. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. I just gave away the title of my message a moment ago. It's called Making Room for the Miraculous. Making Room for the Miraculous. 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. Man, look at that screen. That thing is something. I haven't got to preach in front of this thing yet. It's beautiful. Here we go. It says this. It says, One day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Someone say continually passing our way. Here's what I want you to get from this. I believe real quick that the presence of the Lord is constantly around you. The presence of the Lord is constantly passing you by. The question is, are you going to recognize it and are you going to reach out and do something about it or are you or are you comfortable just letting the presence of God pass by you? How much how much in you desires and wants to have continual close fellowship with the presence of the Lord. Because look what she had said to her husband. She said, he's continually passing our way. Now let's do something about it. I don't want him near me. I don't want him just going by me. Verse 10, she said, let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. That's why my message today is called Making Room for the Miraculous. Father, bless the message in Jesus' name. Two different views of miracles. 
that I want to talk about here today. I want to talk about a belief system that's kind of over here on this side, and then there's a belief system that is over here on this side. We'll start with the one that's over here, and the way I'll characterize it can be summed up pretty much by, by this quote. So if you don't know who Richard Dawkins is, he's probably one of the foremost atheists in the world who, after Christopher Hitchens, who was super popular, passed away, uh, he kind of you know, took the baton as, as the foremost thinker and kind of critic of, of Christianity uh, and faith out there just in general. Uh, not, not very kind toward those of faith because he's so, uh, you know, just terse with the way he uh, talks to people that, that are people of faith. And his view of miracles can be summed up in his quote, which says this, events that we common call, commonly call miracles are not supernatural, but are part of a spectrum of more or less improbable natural events. He says a miracle, in other words, if it occurs at all, is a tremendous stroke of luck. Okay, so here we have over here just a view. We don't even have to go too deep into this. It's pretty apparent what's being said here. It says no matter what you would call a miracle, whether it's, and, and I've heard people dig down into, you know, people that have cancer and it goes into remission, say things like, well, that... Cancer goes into remission all the time. So what you're dealing with is just, even though it's very low statistical probability, you're dealing with the fact that you went to a church service, somebody prayed for you, and it just so happened to be on the week that your cancer was going into remission. That is how deep this goes. The point is, no matter what the miracle is, no matter if somebody is raised from the dead, no matter what level it gets to, there is always going to be some level of explanation from this rationale that it is not a miracle at all, it is simply luck. Are you following that? Now we come over here to the other side, where we have a thinker like C.S. Lewis, who is one of my favorite theologians and one of my favorite writers ever, and he was once himself an atheist. But C.S. Lewis says it very eloquently. He says, miracles are in fact a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. So what he's saying is that miracles, no matter how small they are or how big they are, it's really just the telling of the same story of creation that we see when we look at the sun, at the stars, at the sunrise, at creation that is all around us. It just screams out and it goes, there is a God who has created all of this. He loves you. He cares for you. He speaks things into existence, whether it's causing the sun to rise and holding the universe together but through Christ or whether it's helping you, you know, miss a bus by inches when you're walking across the street. It's all the same story. Two trains of thought. One, everything is a miracle. One, nothing is a miracle. Everybody follow me here today? So, two people can believe or can witness the same event and view it from completely different ways depending on what they believe about the miraculous. So I want to ask you a question today. What do you believe about miracles? What do you really believe deep down on the inside? Because that is going to end up affecting whether or not you see miracles and you recognize miracles that are going on in your life. One of the reasons it's an important question is because what you believe about miracles will determine whether you see one or not. Okay, my great-grandma uh, was, was sort of, they're almost 
legends told about her because she was such a, a woman of Pentecostal faith. Uh, her name was Willie Lee, uh, Willie Lee Flippo. And Willie, doesn't that sound like a character from a movie? Willie Lee Flippo. And Willie Lee Flippo, we called her Mama, uh, Mama Flippo, she was a tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-filled, Pentecostal woman. And you say, well, what kind of miracles are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about my grandpa, when he was a little boy, was playing outside. And, and I don't know why all my relatives back in Alabama had cars in their front yard that had no front tires and were plop, propped up on cinder block. But the, it, there was a car that was on cinder block, and he was playing around. He was two years old, and the car fell over on his legs, the entire weight of the car. So what did she do? Did she call... You know, like someone, did she go to the you know, a jack and try to jack it up? No, she just prayed in tongues and just lifted the car up over her head with one hand and reached down and grabbed him, and everyone saw her do it. She lifted up the car. This is before the Avengers, y'all. This was some real <laughs> stuff. You've got like Hulk, you know, Superman, Willie Lee Flippo. Like she's in the, she's somewhere in, in that list. Um, Another thing that happened that, that our family commonly knows about is she was behind on her rent and didn't have enough money. And she had a $20 bill in her hand that was the last money her and her husband had. And she sat there with that $20 bill praying over it, and she was holding it in her hand, God, we need money, help me, help us in Jesus' name, I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden she looked down in her hand, and there were two 20s in her hand. I just saw a guy take out a 20 and start rubbing it back there. I don't, I'm not sure if that works for everyone. It just worked for her for sure. I'm kidding. He didn't do that. That's a joke. She's rubbing the, she's rubbing the $20 bill. 220. So here, let, let's look at that one for just a second. So, so in this case, this woman of faith is sitting there praying over money, and, and a 20 turns into two 20s. I mean, we know that Jesus caused a coin to appear in the mouth of a fish. We've seen in the Bible that it's possible for something to come out of nothing. That's the, that's the kind of God that we have. So let's say you have two different worldviews viewing the same event. Okay? This world over, worldview over here, here's what this worldview says about that event. This worldview says there is a logical explanation. Maybe that was two $20 bills that someone had glued together. Are you following me here today? Maybe, so, so even if they see it, even if they see her taking it and rub it like that in two, they could see it with their own eyes and what they would say is they would say, There's, that's not possible. So what happened is there were two that were somehow, somebody had played a prank or whatever, glued them together and when you were praying, you were rubbing them and it just so happened the moment that they came apart, you looked at your hand and you went, oh, it's God. And it wasn't really God, it was as Richard Dawkins says, let's see exactly what it is, a miracle if it occurs at all is a tremendous stroke of luck. Okay, so here over here on the other side, You've got other people that see this and they see the 20, they see the two 20s and what do they do? They go, look at God. They say, how good is my God? My God just did a miracle. That's exactly what she did. She went crazy and she's praising the Lord. Two different people that see the same event and view it two different ways. See, Richard Dawkins has already determined what he believes about miracles. It's a stroke of luck. Therefore, a reasonable explanation can be found. C.S. Lewis believes that by rubbing this 20 and two 20s appearing, that it's the retelling of a bigger story of God's goodness, his faithfulness, his creative power to make something from, from nothing. And I want to tell you today, when it comes to the miraculous, when it comes to the miraculous, you get what you go for. When it comes to the miraculous in your life, 
Look at someone next to you. Say, you get what you go for. Come on, look at them again and say, oh, this is a big one right here. Say, you see what you believe. You don't believe what you see. You see what you believe. So this guy over here, he saw the same thing. But he already believed something, so therefore he interprets it through the filter of what he believes. So this is my question to you. What do you believe about miracles? What do you believe about the supernatural in your life? Have you already predetermined that some lucky things happen to some people, some lucky things don't happen to people? Maybe you pray for it, maybe you don't. I hope that's not what you believe. Now let me clarify something. What I'm talking about here about you see what you believe, some people would interpret that philosophy from a scientific or psychological standpoint as something called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias means the tendency to interpret new data or evidence as confirmation of pre-existing beliefs. Now, let me, let me explain that just a little bit. All it means is this. Confirmation bias is something that a lot of times the scientific community or the psychological community will use to criticize Christians. And in essence, what they're saying is that confirmation bias means you already believe in God. Therefore, anything you see that's unexplainable, you're going to use as an excuse to fortify your position. But here's the thing about confirmation bias. The people that accuse Christians of doing it don't realize they're doing it too. They're doing the same thing. It's, the thing about confirmation bias is everybody's doing it. So the point is, if you've already predetermined that there is no God, there are no miracles, there is nothing that I cannot explain away, you will deny every good thing that God ever does for the rest of your life to support your deep-seated belief system. So if confirmation bias actually does exist, which I believe it actually does, and we know that God is the one who has given us our faith to begin with, what should we be doing? Every good thing that we say, that's why the, the, we see, that's why the Bible says every good and perfect gift is, is from above. Everything that is good in this life, it comes from God. And you know what? Every good thing that happens to me in my life, you know what I want to do? I want to go, thank you, Jesus. You caused that. You did that. You're responsible for that. I give you praise for that. I honor you for that. I bless you for that. I want to recognize every good thing along the way. So this is not a weak position at all. This is a very strong position. I want to make sure I know what I believe. Why? Because I see what I believe. Put your hand on your heart and say, I see what I believe. So what do you believe? Well, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe Ephesians 3.20. This says, now him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. What do I believe? I believe John 14.12 where Jesus said, very truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And he says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Somebody say whatever so that the father may be glorified in the son you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it so you're saying well what do I believe because yeah, I see what I believe I believe this I believe that God will do whatever we ask him when our heart is right I believe there's nothing that he won't do and I think that we get so thrown off when we start using this rationale and we get upset with God over things that we don't understand and therefore, we write off anything to do with God because we can't get all the answers to our questions. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. But first, I want to focus on our text, 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 8 through 37. It's kind of a long story, but it's worth telling. Uh, it's, it's my opening text scripture where Elisha is passing by the Shunammite woman's house. 
And she noticed his, that, hey, the presence of God is here. The miraculous of God is here. And I feel bad because I've been letting it come near me, but I haven't made room for it in my life. Have you made room for the supernatural in your life? Have you made room? Because I like the, the fact that in her case, she didn't really have more capacity in her house. She had to go up on the roof and build room. She had to build a room for the presence of God in her house. Look at someone next to you say, you might have to build a room today. Who knows, you might have room. If you get the wrong stuff out, you might make room for the right stuff. Can I get an amen from somebody? Maybe you got too much stuff already that's occupying the space of your life and there's only so much space to go around. Maybe you got to kick some stuff out. But all I know is that she made a place for him and it says that after they made this room, Elisha came and he went to his room and he laid down there. And he said to his servant, Gehazi, by the way, Elisha, if you don't know who he is, this guy is like a huge deal. Like incredible anointing on his life. Elijah, the anointing that was on his life, he's got a double portion of that same anointing. One of the greatest men of God that have, has ever lived. So this woman makes him a room. He goes, lays down, and he says to his servant, call the Shunammite woman. So he calls her, and she stood before him. And he, Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. By the way, I like that. Because the way we're to interpret that now is that God sees us making room for for him, and he sees that it is inconvenient for us, and he appreciates the fact that we're willing to go out of our way and push things out of our life that don't belong there and build and make space for him. God sees what you're doing. He appreciates it. It means something to him. As a matter of fact, in this story, Elisha, who represents God, wants to do something for her because she's done something for him. So look at someone next to you and say, I believe God's going to do something for you. All right, so... He says, hey, what can I do for you? Can I put in a call to the king? And she's like, no, I, I, I like where I live. I'm good. And Elisha says, well, what can be done? And, and his servant suggests something. He goes, well, she's, you know, she has no son. And her husband is old. And Elisha says, call her. And so he called her, and she stood in the doorway. Listen to what Elisha says, just out of nowhere. Elisha says to her, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. Let me tell you something. My wife is gorgeous through and through. I mean, I was sitting back there watching on the monitor uh, when she was up there, and I mean, I was, my whole team was back there. I was like, look, I believe in miracles because I look in the mirror, then I look at her, and she's married to me. So that's a, that's a, my, that's a macro miracle right there. One of my favorite things about AIM is just some of her quirky little things that she does. And since I've known her, anytime I tell her great news, something that is great, I mean, I'm not sure what it is. Like, I'll say, hey, baby, you'll never believe the guy that I've been trying to talk to about the movie, he called me back. The first thing she'll do, without fail, she always goes, nuh-uh. <laughs> so it's like this, it's like, the, it's nuh-uh. Like, like the, the point is like, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie to me. I love that. I think that is so adorable. And that's exactly what this woman does when Elisha says something that is too great for her to believe. She literally cannot believe that God is going to do something so good for her. And she literally, he says, by this time, next year, you're going to have a son. She goes, no, uh-huh. <laughs> and he goes, uh-huh. And, and she goes, and she goes, no. She goes, please don't mislead me. She's literally, she goes, please do not get my hopes up. She's probably thinking to herself, you don't know me very well, but there, I spent like 10 years of my life wanting to have a kid. We couldn't have a kid. I couldn't have a kid. Now my son's, my, my husband's older. We can't have kids. So don't, don't even start down this road. And he's just going, hey, look, God is good. 
And, and don't worry about it. Very next verse, verse 17, it says, but the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just like Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was in the fields, and he said to his father, my head, my head, in, in typical father fashion, he told the servant, carry him to his mother. So for, I don't know what, what's going on with him. He needs to be more compassionate. In, in verse 20, it says, after the servant had lifted him up and carried him away to his mother, the boy sat down on her lap until noon and died. What a strange twist to this story. You got a woman who wants to do the right thing, builds an extra house so the man of God can stay there. She wants the presence of God in her life enough to create a room. She didn't ask for a blessing. Elisha suggests to her that she has a kid, and now the very promise of God that she never asked for in the first place, it's a huge blessing, is gone right before her eyes. She doesn't know what to do. So all of a sudden, he dies and says, she went and laid him on the bed of the man of God and then shut the door and went out. So let me, let me just tell you something today. If you're in a situation that you don't understand, don't take your problem over here to the realm of unbelief. Don't take your problem to a place that can bring you no answers. Take your problem to the place of God. Take your, your problem to the place where you can lay it down. She laid it down on the bed. She laid it down in the room of her life that she created space for the supernatural. And she says, I don't have my answer right now, but I'm going to lay this right here. Don't you ever see people just put on Facebook and say, I'm just going to put this right here. You ever see that? I'm just going to put this right here. That's exactly what she did. She said, I'm just going to put this right here. And then she walked out of the room and left. Look at someone next to you and say, lay down your problem. She lays it down. It says, she called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey. I'm going to go find that man of God. I'll tell you what kind of attitude she had. She had that mom attitude. You know when moms need to fix something? Anybody, raise your hand if you're a mom and you know that feeling when you get in that mode where you go, oh, we're going to fix this. Oh, we're going to fix this. And nobody can do that like a mom. So it says, oh, we're going to find that man of God. And his husband said, her husband said, well, why, why go to him today? It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. She goes, oh, that's all right. I'm going to find him. Verse 24, she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you to. She set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant, look, that's that Shunammite woman. He says, run up there and meet her and ask her if she's all right. Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? And when she saw Gehazi, the servant, you know what she said to him? She said, everything's all right. Do you know what that meant? I'll tell you what it meant. She was in a take me to your manager mode. Does anybody know the take me to your manager mode? The take me to your manager mode is when you got a problem with something and you're in the store and someone walks up to you and says, can I help you? You go, take me to your manager. Can I speak with the manager, please? You ain't in the mood. You, you don't want to talk to nobody about anything unless you're talking to the right person. So she goes, no, everything's all right. Now take me to your manager. And when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Then the servant came over to push her away, but the man of God said, hold on, no, 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 leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden from me and not told me why. Now she comes over to him, and she reminds him. She goes, can I ask you a question, man of God? Can I ask you a question, manager? 
did I ask you for a son? And he goes, no. She goes, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We ain't done yet. No, we ain't done. When you said you're about to have a son, did I say, nuh-uh? Did I or did I not say, nuh-uh? He goes, yeah, you said, nuh-uh. But you, y'all know, you, you blew it off. Even though I said, nuh-uh, you said, don't worry about it. You're going to have one anyways. Did you say that, yes or no? And he admitted it all. He says, yeah, it's just like you said. Did I ask you for a son? That's exactly what she says. Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes, nuh-uh. And Elisha said to his servant, he goes, hey, tuck your cloak in your belt. Take my staff with you. Don't greet anyone. Go straight to her house and lay my staff on the boy's face. So he, he's thinking that there's a way around this other than having to personally do it. And she goes, oh, no. <laughs> I don't think you understand what's going on right now. You about to come to my house. <laughs> Whether you want to come or not, you come into my house. And she says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face. No sound, no response. He went back to Elijah. He goes, yo, the boy, he's dead. And Elijah reached the house. There was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door. And the two of them prayed to the Lord. It says, then he got on the bed. And the Bible says that he laid on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. He stretched himself out on the boy, and the boy's body grew warm. Then he got up, walked around. So, so, so he's, basically, he's in this position. He's laying on a dead boy, face to face, mouth to mouth. And he's going, God, this woman has in the manager syndrome. You got to help me. You're the one that told me to tell her this. You get me out of this situation. He is breathing his breath. He's giving his body warmth anything he can because he knows God is the one that made the promise to begin with. And it says he turned away, walked back and forth in the room, then got on the bed and stretched himself out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elijah summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite woman. <laughs> she wanted to talk to the manager. God got the deal done for us. When she came in, he goes, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. I want to tell you something today. In life, you host what you make room for. You host whatever you make room for. If you make room for unbelief in your life, then you host unbelief in your life, and unbelief becomes your guest. If you make room for gossip, then you host gossip in your life, and gossip becomes a guest. If you make room for unforgiveness, then you host unforgiveness, and unforgiveness becomes your guest. If you make room for lust in your life, then you host lust, and lust becomes your invited guest. If you make room for lies and deceit in your life, then you host lies and deceit in your life, and lies and deceit become your guest. But if you make room for hope, 
But if you make room for love, but if you make room for forgiveness, but if you make room for joy, but if you make room for peace, but if you make room for the miraculous, then the miraculous becomes your guest and you host the presence of God, the miraculous in your life. Who wants to make room for the miraculous in your life today? If that's you, stand on your feet and give God a shout of praise today. If you want to make room for the miraculous in your life, I said give him a shout of praise today. Come on. Come on, look at somebody and say, make room for the miraculous. I believe there are macro miracles, huge miracles that cannot be denied. Sometimes I believe in micro miracles. If we're talking about macro and micro miracles, I'm going to talk in just a second. I'll have you sit down. Not yet because it's feeling good right now, you know what I mean? But when we talk about macro miracles, we want to see people healed of cancer. And I've prayed for friends that had cancer and ended up dying. And it just messes with your mind. It just messes your soul up when something doesn't work out the way you want. Okay, but let me refer to my friend Dave that we talk about a lot. Pastor Dave, who was on our staff, one of my best friends. One of the hardest things our team, our friends, even Sheena. He was married at the time to Sheena. And she watched that whole process work out. There are some people that would look at that situation and say there's no miracles because he didn't get his miracle. Well, also, how do we reconcile the fact that doctors said he had a very short amount of time to live? He lived well over a year and a half past the time they said he should have died. What's that? Yeah. Is that not a miracle? I don't know if you call it macro miracle, micro miracle, but I know that when you trust in God, you know, and you're in the middle of a struggle fighting against something like cancer, I know if there are days that you're not feeling good, then all of a sudden, the next day, you go, wow, I feel great today. It depends on which side you stand on. Do you stand on this side over here where you go, well, maybe you had some nutritious food yesterday and your endorphins are up. Or do you stand over here and go, no, my God is so good. He blessed me today. He caused me to feel good from the inside out. I feel a joy that I haven't felt in a while. I feel energy. And you know what? I'm not even sure if I'm going to have this same energy tomorrow. But I will tell you this right now. I'm going to use what energy I have today to give my God praise and to give my God honor. Because he's the one that caused it. That's how you make room for the miraculous. Look at someone next. You say, look for the micro miracles. Look at someone next to you say, celebrate the macro miracles. What you appreciate, you celebrate. And what you celebrate, God will perpetuate. You'll see more of it in your life. What you appreciate, you celebrate. And what you celebrate, God will perpetuate. If you want to see more of it in your life, then appreciate it. I love giving my kids gifts. But you know what I really love is when I give them a gift and they acknowledge that it's a gift and they appreciate it. When I see them appreciate the things that I've done for them, what does it make me want to do? It makes me want to do even more. If, if you give them something and they don't appreciate it, you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm going to spoil them if I keep doing this. 
But see, God wants us to appreciate and celebrate. So I'm driving down the road just the other day, and it was raining out. And a car was coming toward me on a two-lane road, and there was a puddle. You ever seen those real deep puddles and you're on a two-lane road and a car's coming near you? How do you try to slow down because you don't want to do that hydroplane thing? So I tried to slow down, but it hit that thing, and I'm telling you, it sent me over into the other lane, and then I missed that car by that much. Now I went after that and got a chicken sandwich. But the point of the story, <laughs> the point of the story, what did I do on the way to my chicken sandwich? I actually praised the Lord the whole entire time. I said, Lord Jesus, thank you for a, a micro miracle or a micro miracle. It might be a macro miracle. Saving me from dying, I guess that is a macro miracle. It's just the way we view our lives. Make some room today. What is a macro miracle? Well, Acts 19 tells us that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. That's, that's what the Bible says. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illness was cured and evil spirits left them. Can you imagine that? Someone like finding Paul's like 30 shirt or something and be like, Tim, this is going to sound totally weird. I want you to rub this shirt on your, on your shoulder. I mean, this is like literally the level that, that Paul was, that the way he was walking with God, macro miracles on such a level. Peter hit that level. It says Acts 5.12, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. His shadow was healing people. His shadow. It's incredible. Just dig in for just one second, just a second, as to why many times we don't get the miracles we're looking for, or we don't recognize miracles that do happen. Matthew 13, 53 through 58, it says, Jesus finished these parables and he moved on from there, and coming to his hometown, he began to teach the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Here's what the people said. Where did this man get the, this wisdom and these miraculous powers? So these people recognized that there was the miraculous going on. They saw the supernatural. They go, yo, this is beyond explanation. It's miraculous. But listen what they did. They went down into it. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Mother named Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Didn't he go to St. Cloud High School? Aren't all his sisters here with us? Where did this man get all these things? We know this guy. Verse 57 says, and they took offense at him. There you go. That's the big stop sign. Because it goes on to say, Jesus said to them, yo, a prophet gets honor anywhere he goes except his hometown. And it says, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. I think the key to this scripture is the faith but I believe the secret key, the sort of Easter egg that's in there, if you back up a couple of verses, is where it says they took offense at him. I believe there are a lot of people that don't get a miracle because you're offended at Jesus. You're offended at God that he can't answer every single question that you pose. I believe many people are offended at God because he doesn't run the universe the way you would. People get mad at God. 
and they cause their offense to even possibly recognize that there, maybe there is a supernatural, but I don't even care because I don't like the way you do this. What about the problem of suffering, God? What about children in other countries that are hungry? What about human trafficking? What about this? And you start asking all these questions that you don't like. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings today. I'm just trying to explain to you why many times we miss the miraculous. It's the same reason these people missed it. They were offended at God. It's not enough to recognize the miraculous. They recognized it and they missed it. We have to make room for the miraculous in our lives. We gotta clear out the space and make room. Can I read you something in closing? Somebody that goes to our church here who has struggled with belief over the years, self-admittedly struggled with belief over the years, sent me this the last time I preached, right after I preached. It says this, it says, hey, hope it's okay to tell you this here. I'm sure you remember a few weeks ago when you had people come up for healing at church. First, it was a miracle that I was in that service because we had family in town. We had a late night Saturday and my young son was in service with me. Anyways, when you said come up, my body moved on its own. There was no hesitation, although I typically do not outwardly express my faith. Anyway, I saw the doctor today. I saw the doctor today. It was informed. Okay, sorry, I missed, I missed a part. I told, I'm sorry, it says, there was no hesitation, although I typically do not outward express my feelings, excuse me, I told God I did not have the faith to believe he would heal me because he had not healed me up until this point. But I asked for the faith. Today I saw the doctor and was informed that the incurable, life-altering, aggressive, sometimes deadly immune system devastating disease that I have had for nearly 20 years is now inactive. He said they don't consider it a remission until I have those results for three years. But I never believed that I would ever receive a, a report like this, ever. I just wanted to share because I really believe everything about that day was the Holy Spirit. And I really appreciate you facilitating a life-changing moment. Thank you. Which side are you on? Are you over here saying, wow, that's coincidence that you went to church on the same weekend that your life threatening disease just happened to go into remission or are you over here and saying hey the holy spirit led me on that day god i know that you are moving i know that you caused it you're responsible for it i somebody say i believe in miracles come on somebody say i believe in the miraculous somebody say i'm making room come on shout it say i'm making room for the miraculous in my life Come on, say, I'm making room for the miraculous in my family. Come on, give him a shout of praise today. You can sit down. In Lee Strobel's book, A Case for Miracles, he says that atheist publisher Michael Shermer suggested that a human regrowing an amputated limb might persuade him to believe in miracles. Might. Not a lizard 
a human. While a different skeptic who is a physician and a lecturer, her name happens to be Dr. Harriet Hall, she says even that wouldn't be sufficient. She says an advance in science could conceivably give us enough control over DNA to do what lizards and starfish do. So where does she set the bar of belief? What could cause her to believe? She said this. She said, if a chicken started speaking English, learned to read, and beat a grandmaster in chess, something like that would cause her to provisionally conclude that something outside the ordinary had happened. That seemed impossible to explain without appealing to supernatural forces. All I'm trying to tell you, don't kid yourself. It takes a lot of faith of the opposite kind to say there's nothing miraculous going on in the universe. You almost have to put blinders over your eyes to live in this realm. But to come over here, where you see this life is beautiful, you see this world is beautiful, created by a loving and beautiful God, where there are lovely miracles all over the place, beautiful micro miracles to celebrate all over. My staff, I, I, I taught this on at staff on Tuesday, and it was fun. And all week, everyone, we've all been texting each other, cool stuff, and the texts, just have a picture of something wonderful that's happened or good that's happened or favorable. And they'll just say macro miracle, micro miracle, different things. It's just the way our, our staff has been just celebrating that idea. But it truly is a way of seeing the world. Believe it, then see it. Make some room today for the miraculous. Come on, church. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.